Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. Um, currently, we're looking at the stories of, of the stories published in 1954. Uh, it's a huge collection of stories. In fact, the whole of 1953, 1954, those two years together, come for like a third or almost a half of all his stories. So. Um, he put up a lot of ideas in these works, and they're important to go through if you want to understand the whole trajectory of Philip Kiddick's career. Part of a big reason I'm doing this is I think not enough attention has been given to the stories. Uh, one reason I was very supportive of the Philip Kiddick's Electric Dreams um, is because it did focus on the stories and many of the early stories that have not always gotten the same serious attention that his novels, some of his novels have. So, you know, whatever misgivings I may have about the series, and I have a few, I, I think it's great that they're focusing on the stories. In fact, I remember like years ago, I once suggested someone should do an anthology series on the stories. That'd be the best way to adapt them rather than trying to make them feature films, because those usually weren't very good. Anyways, in this episode, um, we'll be looking at Breakfast at Twilight. Breakfast at Twilight is a novel about war and about family. Um, we actually have one of the better images of the family that we get in all of Dick's writings up to this point. His families tend to be pretty odious and conflicted and where, where people in the family are very indifferent to each other. <clears throat> I think conflicted is even the wrong term. Just Although there is some stories where families are in conflict, but it's more indifference is the problem or just people kind of doing their own things. It's very much the suburban kind of image of the family. Uh, th this family is a little bit warmer and it's a little bit more of a touching story, but it's ultimately about war and violence and the impact of war on on human relations and on the family. It was published in Amazing in July 1954. You can read it in the We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, The Collected Stories of Philip K. Dick, Volume 2. Um, a lot of the stories from 1954 are found in that uh, volume. Um, those volumes are, are organized, by the way, and the reason I bounce around a lot with with those is those are based on the chronological order of when they were written. And I've been doing it as a, through publication dates, so it's, the order is a little bit different. Um, but <clears throat> all right, so first we look at the plot summary. Um, Earl McLean is our, I guess. One of one of our main characters from our family. He's getting ready for school. He's the child. He's the child of the family. He's getting ready for school, and he asks his father Tim for a ride. Tim tells him, like a good father, trying to make sure his kid, you know, does his hard work, doesn't let him off too easy, and says, "No, he must walk to school." Now there's a heavy fog outside of the house. Mary McLean uh, gets a weather report from the radio, but it seems to be broken. Mary McLean is the mother. A few moments after Earl leaves for school, he returns, having been stopped by soldiers. Soon after this, three soldiers come to the door in gray-green uniforms, masks, long needle guns, apparently powered by coils. 
So we got some nice imagery of, of, of weaponry, almost like fallout kind of imagery. The soldiers are shocked to see a house intact in this area and are horrified to find Tim living in it with his wife and children in such a place. After securing the family members, the soldiers find the family's pantry and are amazed to find things like coffee and butter and meat. The captain begins to ask Tim what he's doing there and for and, and they ask for their yellow slip, suspecting they're Soviet agents. This is some kind of, I guess, identifier. They load up all the food from the house. And during this entire process, Tim sneaks to look outside. And not only is it now evening, but the sky is dark with ash. The entire community has been replaced with rubble and ruins. A family, or a man, identifying himself as Political Commissioner Douglas, asks Tim to return to the inside of the house. From Douglas, the McLeans learn that it's seven years in the future and two years into a horrible war with the Soviet Union that has left much of the United States. Uh, devastated. Douglas deduces that these this family are time travelers and a very unlucky group of time travelers at that with a bad sense of timing to land in the worst part of a very bad war. Tim explains that the whatever time traveling they did was inadvertent. Earl meanwhile is mostly interested in who is winning the war. You know he's a child he probably of his age imagined war with the future and maybe played them out with his toys so for him, he wants to know who's, who, who's winning. The war they are currently fighting, though, is simply an extension of a series of conflicts with the Soviets that began with the Korean War. So the Cold War in this timeline morphs just into a hot war over time. Douglas takes some books from the house as well, pointed out that some of the literature in the house is politically dangerous. And he actually identifies Steinbeck and Dos Passos as politically dangerous works. So anyone who kind of had sympathies with socialism, I guess, is politically dangerous. And um, these are authors I'm going to get to and look at in my mainline series, American Writers 100 Pages at a Time. In fact, I already have a Steinbeck um, series done. And I'll, I'll come back, I think, fairly shortly with the second and maybe third volumes of the Steinbeck series. Uh, Dos Passos, I don't actually have any of the Library of America versions of the Dos Passos books, but I've started buying them again. I, I recently bought a whole bunch, I think 31 volumes, including Henry James, a lot of Henry James and Elizabeth and Stowe. I needed some f women writers for that series because I, I don't have enough diversity in the books I owned. So, But Dos Passos wasn't one of those that I bought. So I, I do want to look at USA eventually, which is his kind of big magna opus on, on statement on America. But I, I do have Steinbeck, so. These are all dangerous, politically subversive texts. Anyways, uh, he asked, the, com the com commissioner asked Tim if he had any military scientific training that would help with the war effort. Mary, he's told, will be sent to a factory labor camp to go to work. Children go to relocation camps in Canada to be raised, and Tim expresses a desire to return to his own time. Douglas hypothesizes that the attack that devastated the area, the attack making the McLean's existence unlikely, may have opened up a time fault, like a fault line in time. Since there's going to be another attack tonight, the McLean's could stay in the house, and if they survive, they may in fact be pushed back through the fault line to their own time. So there's a little bit of hope. Now this leads to a debate between Mary and Tim. Mary argues that they should stay. 
even if separated and even if this horrible situation, they're alive and they could have a chance for the future. The children could have a meaningful life contributing to the war effort. Staying in the home during another attack would probably mean their death. Even if they go back, they will be in the war in a few years anyways. So the, the best they could hope for is to go back in time and live five years in peace knowing war is going to come and then maybe still dying or experiencing this. So now she reveals at this point that she's just playing devil's advocate on the argument. And, but nevertheless, the McLeans just, or the, because the McLeans decide to prepare for the attack and hope this will take them back in time. The bombs begin to strike. The children are playing Monopoly. We only actually met Earl, really, but I, you know, there's other children. And as the attacks get worse, they retreat to the basement. After the attack, their house is completely destroyed. But from outside, they hear cars driving past. And it, it's almost like they did go back in time. Policemen come to investigate the destruction of the house. The neighbor suggests that the destruction of the house was caused by a defective water heater. Tim knows the true cause was the destruction of a war that will soon be coming to every house in the future. So the attack that hit them destroyed the house, but it sent them back in time. So they're just kind of in the in the basement. I, I grew up in the Midwest, so... You know, whenever tornadoes would come through, we had to go down into the basement. It was like every year we'd have this a couple times a year. And it was always kind of fun because you could go down there and you would imagine, as a kid, you would imagine that this tornado would come through like Wizard of Oz and destroy the house and you'd come out of the basement and, you know, everything would be devastating. The house would be gone at the roof. But, you know, that was kind of our my image, at least, of what would happen. Uh, and that's kind of what happens here. Like, they're, they're in the basement, but up above it's it's all destroyed so this is a really well crafted story i think the most powerful thing about this story breakfast at twilight is that it places the war so near in the future that one it creates this very powerful dilemma right do you risk your life to have just five years of peace and then that burden of knowing this war is coming. There's nothing you can do about it. And not only is it near in the future, it's a totally terrifying future. Like society has changed so much from this war, right? Families are broken up. The technology seems to have advanced, right? It's just, just in a short period of time, so much has changed. And that was the reality for people of Dick's generation. World War II was a short war only four years and we think about how long we've been in Afghanistan and Iraq and these places four years is pretty short but it so fundamentally transformed American life from society to family to technology that America that left that ended the war was not recognizable um, to you know if someone were to time travel from 1940 to 1946 you know they would be waking up in a different world <clears throat> So anyways, now it's easy enough and not really brave to imagine a future that's horrible, but place it far in the future, right? Place it a thousand years in the future, right? But to place this so near, I think was a very brave thing for, for, for Dick to do. And it's really reminding his readers just how close the world is to nuclear catastrophe. Now, when Tim 
McLean and the family goes into the future seven years as a result of this massive military attack in the future that created the Terran space-time, he enters a world that's not recognizable anymore. The choice to go back or not is no longer easy. While it's not articulated in quite these terms in the story, we easily notice the heart of Tim's anxiety. Staying in a world of censorship, war, death, divided families, and slavery for all through service to the state is a horrible prospect for Tim, but is going back much better. All that means is that he and his family will need to experience the slow descent of civilization into this state he sees. It's almost what's better to wake up like Rip Van Winkle and, and see a world that's kind of horrible or to experience that descent knowing that this event is going to lead to this event that's going to lead to this event that's eventually going to create this. I mean, is it... You know, it's it's almost like the sudden death, like dying in your sleep is better than a slow, painful death from cancer or something. One family alone can't prevent this slide. So it's this is never presented as even an option in the story that maybe he could run for president and change things. No, it's not. He's going to be as helpless in the past as he is in the future. Even if they're familiar with what will happen, Tim's final mediation reflects on this, quote, it's for your house too, your house and my house and all the houses, here and in the next block and the next town, the next state and country and continent. The whole world like this, shambles and ruins, fog and dank weeds growing in the rusting slag, war for all of us, end quote. It's not that deep future. And it's not something that's completely outside the realm of possibility like The Walking Dead. Now, the Korean War was still ra raging when this story was penned. So there were towns like this, one being described, destroyed by war, and families broken up by, by war. Staying in the future may have been the rational thing to do, but it also would have been sur uh, uh, surrendering to despair in a way. The only hope in this story comes in that last sentence, when Tim tells his neighbor that he should have seen to the water heater earlier suggesting that he might actually it might be possible to do something about this inexorable trend towards barbarism so that's the very slight hope that that maybe something can be done now these this family is never presented as though as people with the power to do this thing but we can maybe dream a little bit that this future can be avoided by the by the family Philip Dick comes right out in this story and states the incompatibility of war and humanism. It runs through a lot of his early stories, but never is it as directly stated as here. We get glimpses of government running war efforts against the Soviets, but we know they've censored most literature, anything Russian or with the slightest leftist taint like in Steinbeck. The old classics of Western Europe are okay, however. Most copies of such work are destroyed, and there's no room in the war economy for investments in sustaining the arts which is the foundation of, of humanism. More horrifying, war has destroyed the family. Men are drafted into the military or sent into the technical infrastructure if they have skills. Women are moved into factories. Children are sent to special camps to prepare for the war effort. Basically, their only future is to be to catch bullets or to kill other people. The origins of this breakdown in humanism exist in the McLean household already. While Tim McLean is worried about the state of the world since the war began, his son is mostly interested in who will win the war. And why? Well, he's been trained in the Cold War environment. He was a boomer. 
like a lot of the young people in Dick's stories. And they're... And in fact, even the adult stories in some of the ones set more in the future are characters that, that would have kind of been born and after the war. So, you know, if you look at it, a lot of his characters are boomers, essentially. And these are kids who are raised to prepare for war through toys, through culture, through their films, through television. He seems undisturbed by the idea of staying and helping with the war effort. And, and now he doesn't have a say because he's a child and the parents get to say, decide what happens to the family, but he's okay with it. The shift for him is not a big deal because mentally maybe he's already half in the war that he knows is going to come. The shift towards despotism from war is 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 subtle, I think. And so that's what the story is about. It's about you know how we experience change, historical change. And something that's dramatic, if watched day to day, is, is rather subtle. And we even see that in this difference between the character of Tim and Earl. Earl, for him, the transition from peace to war is, is more subtle because he he lives in this constant threat of bombardment and war. And it's been reinforced in all these different ways. Tim may be a World War II veteran. In fact, he might be. I'd have to go back and look at the story, but I don't know if it's addressed directly if he is. But, you know, he would have experienced that. But before that, he would have experienced a period of peace. And maybe for him, whether because of experiences at war, he's more bothered by that and he wants to avoid that and delay it. Or maybe he, you know, because he wasn't raised in the Cold War environment, he, you know, he's more maybe raised in the Wilsonian era, this war to win all war stuff and 14 points and make the world safe for democracy kind of language. So it's a generational story here as well, I think. So um, that does it, I guess, for Breakfast at Twilight, a really powerful and a good story. And I, you know, I've been saying that about a lot of stories lately, but it's, it's true that Dick is really starting to come into his own, I think, in 1954, at least in the stories he published in 1954. And we're going to run into a, you know, a period of time when the stories we're going to look at are some of his greatest, the world of talent, adjustment team, um, of withered apples, I like, upon the dull earth, the last of the masters, um, the father thing, foster your dead, nanny. Captive Market, Simon Heal My Child, Human Is, Auto Fact, Minority Report. These are all stories that were penned in 1954 and 1955, and they're really some of the core texts. You know, a lot of the stories, like from earlier, the early ones he wrote, you know, aren't quite as memorable, but there's some really great ones coming up in this period of time. So it's kind of been a, you know, previewing a little bit here, but I, I think there's some great stories coming up shortly. But that does it for now. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, please send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or just leave a comment and I'll, I'll try to respond. Do know I don't get I don't get announcements like when I someone leaves a comment on Podbean, so sometimes I might miss them. So you're, you're really best off writing me an email and then I'll just deal with your comments on the air. So, yeah. Since this this um, story did mention Steinbeck, I will advertise my mainline series. Um, I, I know that the Philip K. Dick book club is a little more popular than my main uh, series. Uh, that only bothers me a little bit. I I I'm a, I really 
uh, urge you, if you're interested in literature and American writers, to go listen to uh, my other series. I have a whole series on some of Steinbeck's early novels, and I think there's some really great things to talk about and think about in there. And hopefully I'll get to Despasos and, and some of these other American writers that would have been banned in this future earth of war and devastation. But anyways, until next time, uh, you know, I hope you're enjoying reading the stories of Philip K. Dick. If you have any suggestions or comments for me, please leave them and I will respond for sure. Thanks. Imposes my tired thoughts once home. That leaving dies, that leaving dies, that leaving.